Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show with me, Michael Tinkster. We are on a mission to share what Maverick leaders know and do to build businesses that deliver strong results and positive impact on people, society, and the planet. Thank you to our brand partner, BizSimply, for sponsoring this episode. BizSimply is the all-in-one workforce management software that enables your business to become more efficient and profitable. The software designed and built by hospitality experts to enhance the way shift-oriented operators manage their business, optimize their entire people journey, and making every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, how we grow, and how we serve our customers. Together, we wanted to share strategies and tools to make the industry thrive long-term. needs to be more than just sandwiches and salads as the standard fare. And like you said, I think the more of an experience one can provide, the more energy that creates, the more people want to participate in that. And it helps meet those corporate goals of bringing people together, building culture, building camaraderie, building team. This is Jeff Grass, chairman and CEO of Hungry. Hungry is a marketplace which provides office and event catering by providing exclusive access to top chefs, that make incredible food. Getting Jeff on the show was great because he really knows how to build companies that ensures that they don't only deliver strong business results, but also have a huge positive impact on people, society, and the planet. We have a deep conversation about what are some of the biggest challenges facing corporate catering in the 21st century and how to navigate these. Jeff, also shares the learnings of rolling out Hungry across the US and how they have scaled and sustained the core of their culture. We explore the needs of the end customer in corporate catering and how to meet these. We talk about the impact of remote work and how food plays a vital role in getting them back to the office. If you like today's episode, it will mean the world to me if you could leave a review either on our website Apple Podcast or Spotify. The better the views, the better the guest, and ultimately, the better the learning is for you. There's lots of great insights on how to build a company that has positive impact on all stakeholders in this episode. So grab your pen and notebook and enjoy. Today, we will step into a world I actually has some way left but have not left in a way in my own doing every day we're going into corporate catering and we're not just talking corporate catering in the traditional sense we are talking a bit about how exactly going to look in the 21st century i would say but actually it's already happening and with that we have jeff from hungry with us as a guest today who can talk about the amazing work they're doing over in the states and what they are learning from that and actually where how they are delivering catering corp, catering corporate ca, corporate catering sorry in a very different way than the traditional model so welcome to the show jeff thank you michael excited to be here and can you talk a bit about like your story jeff because that's a really interesting story and then how you ended up in corporate catering and then how you decided to launch a platform called hungry 
Sure. My background is very much as a serial technology entrepreneur. So I've actually launched four different technology businesses that have all been venture capital backed. And Hungry, though, is the first one in the food space. So I actually have approached the corporate catering world from a very different perspective than most people in it who typically come from more of a food background. And and I co-founded Hungry with two co-founders of mine from my last company about five or six years ago now. And excited to share more. Tell us a bit about the platform and what kind of problem and friction that solves. Because I think that's when I've been talking with you and studying with you guys, you saw some kind of friction and that's typical an entrepreneurial approach. There's a friction, there's a gap here, and there's a problem that needs to be solved. When companies are trying to bring food in to to feed their teams, whether that's to, in today's day and age, to encourage them to come back to the office or to try to encourage more communication and culture or, or make them more productive, most companies don't have on-site commercial kitchens, and so they're bringing food from off-site on-site. And the person responsible for that, it's really amazing. 99% of the time hates that job. It's a thankless task. It takes a huge amount of time having to order from different restaurants each day because nobody wants to eat the same meal every single day. And at least in America, Americans' diets have gotten a whole lot more complicated with uh, all kinds of dietary restrictions and special diets and allergies and things. And so it's just become a very complicated, time-consuming challenge. And when you're relying on a different company each day to bring in food, the level of reliability and service that you get varies greatly. And, uh, and that's a real big friction point and problem for them too. If, if we have a meeting scheduled at noon and we want lunch for the meeting and it doesn't show up at noon, that's a real big problem. And so what we found was the office managers, the EAs, there's a range of different titles of folks who typically are tasked with that responsibility. Universe don't enjoy that responsibility. And so that was really through that lens that we set out to create hunger is how can we create a platform that provides the variety and the quality of food that employees in the office want, that respects their dietary needs and their restrictions, but do it in a way that makes it ultra-reliable, provides a high level of service, saves our, the clients a ton of time. And, and so that's what we really created was Hungry, which is now a platform that provides a range of amazing office food solutions, primarily from top local chefs and to a lesser degree local restaurants as well. So typical, the companies that will be on the platform, you say they don't have a catering set up in their business. They have the need every day. So you have somebody that's responsible at ordering that. And then you said it was really interesting. It's like local chefs that provides the food. So it's already restaurants that has a name or which didn't have access to that world before. Is that also what you solve for the restaurants from a capacity point of view? Yeah, so most of our volume is not coming through restaurants, actually. It's with independent local chefs that cook out of shared kitchens and incubator kitchens, some ghost kitchens. There's lots of different terms these days. But what we what we found was we can provide higher quality food at a really compelling price point by partnering directly with very talented local chefs who are cooking out of independent kitchens because it just it's a much lower cost structure without sacrificing quality of food because you've got really high-end um, experienced chefs. It also, in the process, we have now 500 chefs and partners on our platform, enables us to provide an amazing amount of variety for our clients and variety in a way that is truly with very different tastes, flavors, styles. It's not one with with multiple cuisines, trying 
to offer multiple cuisines across different types of, of, of food genres, but, but it's truly different chefs cooking their specialty in those specific cuisines. And it allows us to provide really great variety, very authentic food, high quality, and, but deliver it in a way that makes it very consistent. Again, it's our team that's doing the delivery. It's our team that's providing the service. We use a lot of technology to ensure we're always on time and provide a much higher level of service than what's normal when ordering either from a traditional caterer or restaurants. That's really interesting because I've been in this world that like our biggest pain for a point as we grew and got more clients aboard, of course, variety. And we sold that by having chef that owns different ways of cooking and presenting the food, but also always in the same philosophy. But actually, the last thing you said was really interesting is logistics part of it. Running that bit was really the difficult thing to scale. It was not producing more food. It was actually how do we get it from our ghost kitchen or our pop-up kitchen in East London into offices. At the same time, everybody wants food. Everybody wants food between 12 and 2 o'clock right. at lunchtime. Yeah, no, it is an interesting logistics challenge. And ours is even more so because our chefs can cook out of any licensed commercial kitchen they like. It's how do we coordinate dozens, hundreds of chefs across different kitchens with clients all over a city. And so that, the heavy focus on technology comes into play. We've invested literally millions of dollars in building an advanced logistics platform that allows us to, to manage that in a way that makes it very reliable, very scalable, very cost efficient, helps make sure everybody's coordinated and on the same page and doing exactly what they are supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. Is it then you that also owns the, the last mile delivery? Is that, that you have the bikes or the cars or whatever you use, vans? Yes, it's our team. We call them catering captains. And so their role is to take supplies that you need to help set up the on-site catering, pick up the food from the chef's kitchen, transport it safely to the client site, set it up, make it beautiful. They come back an hour later box up any leftovers, break everything down, leave it cleaner than they found it. So I'm really providing a full end-to-end -end solution. What is, I don't, because I haven't heard about anyone else doing this, but what really makes you guys stand out compared to what you're solving here? So you're, you're solving a really important problem, not only for the officers, but also for the chefs to actually generate income. But what makes you stand out really compared to any other solutions out there? Yeah, we actually have a really cool solution from a chef perspective. I'd love to touch on that too. But if, as we look at the competitive landscape, we're mostly serving companies with 20 to 500 to 1,000 employees on site that don't have an on site commercial kitchen. So that's kind of the, the target universe. And there's really three types of competitors there's traditional caterers, there's restaurants, and there's restaurant broker platforms. So there's companies like Fuda and Zero Cater and Cater to Me, who, who partner with local restaurants, who help place orders, but largely outsource all of the execution to the restaurants. So they rely on the restaurants, not just for the making of the food, but the delivery and the service. And that's a huge difference, difference than, than hungry. What we find is when you're relying on third parties to do all of this and different parties every single time, it's just really difficult to control reliability, to control quality of service, things that our clients value greatly. And, uh, and so we've really optimized on, you know, how do we make this the best possible solution for our clients? And the only way to do that is by owning your own delivery and service. It just doesn't work, I think, any other way.
And it's quite interesting when you talk about that, because also then I guess if you want to scale something like that, which is a service model, so we know that very well for hospitality, we principle principal scaling in service model when we put the logistics or the food in or the people in. And I wanted to touch a bit. We had a little short conversation before we started because behind you have your like principle, your culture written down and you have some of your chefs as well there. And how have you done that? Because in principle, you are not just scaling technology and logistics, you're scaling a culture. Because one thing is you have the technology to nudge people, but also you want the right behavior when that nudging is happening. This being my fourth company, I've really come to appreciate how important culture and environment is. And I think in any organization, but most especially in a startup type of organization, Hungary is a very purpose-driven company. Our core purpose is to improve the lives of everyone we touch, but with a special focus on the, the chefs who are our partners on the platform, the clients that we serve, giving back in the communities where we operate, and our team. And so it's really those four key groups that we, we constantly focus on and really try to build a business that makes all four of them better off in the process. From a team perspective, we have nine core values we, that we very much live by. It's essentially our recipe for success, and those are the ingredients. It really helps set the tone for the type of environment that we're trying to foster, the kind of team we're trying to build, and it just helps everybody row in the same direction, just operate from the same page. And I actually find as a leader, it makes it easier to lead. I think it, it, it creates a very clear set of these are the qualities and behaviors and expectations that everyone should have and what the, comp and the company has of the team, but the team should have of the company as well. And, and, and that just makes, you know, that level of clarity and direction, I think really helps everybody align and work closely together. Could you give an example of where you've seen on this journey, as you said, this is my fourth time I'm doing it. So I found out really the power of this and you actually need, I totally agree with you. Sometimes you need a couple of times around the block really to appreciate this sometimes intangible thing and therefore also difficult thing to get clarity on purpose and direction and culture and values. Could you get an example of where that has been really powerful on your journey? We've just been through some really tough times. So I don't know, we should take them pandemic, inflationary environment. Yeah, lots of change. Yeah, it's we've been in an industry that's been just racked with all kinds of challenge, right? Being a platform for office and event catering, COVID was obviously brutal. And food inflation has been far worse than broader inflation, labor inflation, fuel inflation, like the areas that are really the most challenging are things that directly affect us. So we have a range that of really every single one of our values came into play during it. But I'd say urgency and determination was a, is one of our core values. And when the pandemic hit, we decided that we wanted to not fire and furlough, that we really valued the team that we had built. And we really wanted to keep that culture and team together and set out to try to innovate our way through the pandemic. And But we didn't have a whole lot of time. With most companies, our sales went to virtually zero. And so you can't afford to take time to figure things out for too long. And we rapidly launched a series of new service lines that, that really leveraged our chefs and our technology platform and our teams in new ways. And, and it, it was amazing to see how the team responded. There were, our tech team was pulling all-nighters. Our services team was doing really superhuman feats. It was, it was really every party organization rose to the occasion and that and move with a level of urgency that was really amazing to see. And I think that's a key thing. One of our values is also positivity and uh, staying positive when things get really rough is really important. And, and in a startup, you're trying to do so many things so quickly 
sometimes you mess up, right? And what we're trying to foster is an environment where it's okay to mess up. We just want to make sure we learn from that mistake and don't repeat it over and over. If you have people that have more glass half full mentality, like you, you see those challenges as opportunities versus glass half empty, you can tend to turn a little bit more negative, get down, get toxic. And that is just a recipe for all kinds of troubles. I could talk for hours about each one of our values and how we try to live by them. But those are two examples. Well, that was a great example. I actually wanted just to, to grab something you said, like capturing the learning, because I think even if you're a startup or a, an existing business, I think that the sense of really being quick at adapting and learning quickly, and it's not seeing it as a failure, as a learning. How do you capture these learnings? Because often when it goes really fast, that's exactly what you forget. And then three months down the line or six months again, the same mistake happens again because we didn't really capture the learning or we didn't really got it communicated that well. Yeah, I think our speed of execution is actually a huge strength of ours. And we, the industry we operate in is one that doesn't always operate with an incredible sense of speed, right? And that, that gives us a big advantage. But we are big believers in feedback loops. So we try to create as many feedback loops in our business as we can. We do post-catering surveys of our clients of our catering captains who are the team that's on site to find out their perspective on how everything went, of our of our chefs to ask from their perspective how it went. We do post-mortem. So if there's an issue that occurs, something didn't go right, we do a post-mortem, which is basically, all right, what was the root cause? How did we, what went wrong? How do we adjust to make sure that doesn't happen again? And so then we'll update and change our SOPs, our standard operating procedures to try to incorporate, okay, here's how we're going to do it differently going forward to, to make sure that doesn't repeat itself. So lots of, those are just two small examples, but we work on feedback loops as a way of really trying to drive insights into how to improve constantly and, and do that in rapid succession. So the speed with which those feedback loops operate is also really important. Would that mean also from a planning point of view, when you have this clarity about your purpose and direction, also do you work with OKRs as well? Is that one way? Because in my view and what I've learned in startup world, when you start to work with OKRs instead of just strategic plans, you become much more agile and you can much quicker respond to the environment, but also make sure you are in alignment with the purpose, the big, the B hack you have your 10 year plan. Yep. Yep. Yes. We don't use internally the terminology of OKRs, but yes, we operate very much aligned with that type of methodology. Great. Great. That's super, super interesting. What, what is, if you take your platform, you said it's been a very difficult time. We come out on the other side and I guess people are back and maybe in a more hybrid way, but they are back in the office. There's definitely office catering happening again. What is like the top priorities for you, you as a business right now and in the coming years? Yeah, so our big focus is on capitalizing on RTO, return to office. It hasn't come back as quickly as we thought, but it is happening steadily. Our focus is across the United States. We operate in 13 major cities across the U.S., we definitely see differences across different cities in terms of the speed of return to office. But I do think, interestingly, as the economy is slowing, I think companies are starting to push harder as they're seeing some of the negative effects of just all remote work. And so that is what that new normal looks like around work in the office versus at home 
has a huge impact on, on our business and others in our space, right? For many companies, I don't think they're going to go back to the five-day in the office work week. And companies that had used to do that and had on-site commercial kitchens are really trying to figure out what do we do with all of that infrastructure and spend on an on-site kitchen, on-site cafeterias, if folks are only in the office two or three days a week, right? Like, how do you have a full-time culinary team that's only serving people a couple days? And so that's going to, I think, drive a lot of change in how people provide food for their teams in the office, as an example. But uh, yeah, there, there's lots of evolution happening. And, and so we've really f- prioritized flexibility in our platform and ability to customize solutions as we see different clients have different types of needs. And sometimes those needs vary by day. And so being able to plug in with different types of solutions based on those needs, I think is really going to be at a premium for the foreseeable future. And I guess also in 30 cities, I guess also your plan is to expand that network and thereby also expand the technology platform, but I guess also your team, the logistics part. And what are some of the main challenges doing that? Because I guess that is what in place, the platform you could scale to the whole of the world tomorrow, but really it's the team you need to scale together with the platform. Yeah, and we very much try to build a local team in each of the markets that we launch. We've got a a very well-defined launch rubric and process for launching a new market, but it does take a tremendous amount of effort and an investment in launching new markets. And we all, another sort of interesting challenge that that we face is the funding environment has also taken a real turn for the worse and trying to balance our desire for growth with the capacity and interest of the investment community is something that we're navigating through as well. But but yeah, we do see for an off-premise catering platform like Hungry, there really aren't many national solutions. And we're seeing increasingly companies that have offices across multiple markets wanting to have a single partner, a single provider. We're seeing a lot of value with having you know, more and more of a national platform. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our brand partner, BizSimply, and one of their customers, Goldex Investment Group. They operate Costa Coffee and Caspar's franchises, as well as workspaces. Now, it's over to Bod Hemarshandra, their head of operations. The biggest win with BizSimply was freeing up the store manager uh, from the workload they have for the week. Scheduling and payroll plays a a big part in the business. Obviously, it it was taking over four hours a week for them before using Excel templates. They have to create the schedule beginning of the week, and they'd have to finalize at the end of the week uh, for payroll purposes, which was taking around four hours, like I said. Now, I think with BeSimply, we managed to reduce it down to 30 minutes or less. All they have to do is just finalize the, the payroll at the end of the week by pressing a button. It's that simple. So it saves us around three and a half hours a week per store. And that's the biggest win we've had uh, with BeSimply. And there is in, in the corporate catering world where you're operating, there's a lots of change going on. A lot of new things are being tried if that's taking existing restaurant concept into office buildings. So like coffee concepts or sandwich concepts. There's lots of things that have been trying to make this environment more exciting. And actually corporate catering has a lot of weight it needs to carry to be part of creating a better 
offers experience because food brings people together. Food is something we do three times a day. And it's something that could ignite people's senses. And it's a very big connection to the ESG goals, the employee engagement goals as well for corporates. So how do we actually, what is in your view, some of the biggest challenges that's facing the whole corporate catering industry as we try to take it into the 21st century in a way together with the really the changing behaviors around the core customer demographics yeah yeah you touched on it companies are really looking at food as one of the important vehicles for encouraging people to come back to the office right if you can offer lunch what we see is it dramatically increases the participation in the office on the days that the companies offer a free lunch versus not. So it's amazingly effective as an incentive. But people don't want to just be fed, right? They have higher expectations now. The bare minimum is making sure you're respecting their dietary preferences and any allergies they may have. But people want more of a food experience, right? They want to have something that really is enjoyable and memorable. And I don't think it needs to be as much as going to a five-star restaurant, but but I do think it needs to be more than just sandwiches and salads as the standard fare. And like you said, I think the more of, of an experience one can provide, the more energy it creates, the more people want to participate in that. And it helps meet those corporate goals of bringing people together, building culture, building camaraderie, building team. How do you, when you deliver into an office, let's say with 100 people, bring that experience in? Because you have these incredible independent chefs they love their food and probably have some deep thoughts about why they're actually creating this food and they want this to be their business and be successful. How do you bring that story in? Because I, for me, that, I think that's an essential part of the food experience. It's a great question. And honestly, one that I think we're still cr- trying to crack the code on. Obviously, more interesting menus, more colorful food, how it's displayed, all these things come into play. But one advantage we have is we have these amazing local chefs that are making the food and each has a, an incredible backstory that anytime you hear them, it's just really engaging and fascinating. We have Chef Chris here as an example, was the head chef on the USS Harry Truman aircraft carrier. He learned his trade in the US Navy. After he, he, he became a food TV network star, he won Cutthroat Kitchen. He's cooked for President Bush and a whole range of celebrities. And it's just learning more about these and his stuff, his style of food and how he approaches food is just, I think, really interesting. So we're working on how do we bring those stories into the office more effectively? We do things like display pictures with a little bit, but you'll see us roll out soon um, more using technology, video, other things to really try to make it much more directly accessible to the guests in the office and just add another layer of how to do more storytelling and enhancing that experience. And that, that's quite interesting because actually that was when my next question was around technology to actually improve that experience because I think that's really where technology, if you use it in the right way, really can help scaling stories. And principle, of course, the product has to be good and the service has to be good, but that what people want is to be touched in the first in the head and then in the heart. And these stories, as you just told about Chef Chris, these are the stories where it brings food to the next level because this person have really put their identity into, they really put their love and passion into creating this dish. Yeah, it makes the food a whole lot more interesting. If you know the story of the person that made it, 
And for us, technology, like the meat and potatoes is things like logistics, helping us make sure everyone's coordinated, Thing, food shows up on time, it's, it, we're collecting feedback. There's also an important element of helping save our clients a lot of time. We'll typically you know, provide more of a managed service for our clients where they're not doing their own ordering. We'll work with them to understand their needs and then do the menuing for them, things like that. So technology helps us do that and scale it. But yes, I think next level is that's all the head stuff, right? Like how do we really do the heart stuff and do it in a way that's really scalable and powerful? So that's a lot of the focus that we have right now. That's super interesting because I guess also that's where we talk about how you stand out, really going to be standing out from all the possible ways you can order office catering. And I think in general, this is also what in cross hospitality in a diff- all different settings, everybody's trying to figure out how to actually create this unique story and how to actually bring it to life across my network or in my single restaurant. And that's funny, there's people that's been doing this in hospitality for years. Danny Meyer is the most known one. We have the Singermans out in Ann Arbor in Michigan. In principle, what they're doing is scaling story and then food is just a part of that, which is a super interesting way of looking at scaling a business as well. How can, I wanted to talk a bit about like also when you have all this technology, you must have a lot of data and like data has become more much more and more in hospitality key or in food service or catering key really to understand your clients better or your business or your operations where the glitches are how do you see that this also comes to play in the world we live in now things have to move fast also when there's pressure on the finances you really need to find the gaps and close them really quickly yeah yeah so we try to use data to help create tighter product market fit is the terminology, but really make our service better for our clients, right? To use more sort of direct language. Typically, the longer clients use it, the better we can do that. So just through really understanding taste and preferences and needs, it helps us really dial in on the menuing and making sure the chefs are providing exactly what the the teams in those offices really like. But there is a lot more, I think, opportunity to leverage data. What's interesting, everybody is now talking about what's your AI strategy, right? I I didn't put that in. (laughs) (laughs) Right, but I know, I'm like, we're a catering platform. But I do think some of these newer technologies that are starting to come to bear potentially offer opportunities for companies any kind of company, but especially companies in the food space to to start to look at things through new lenses and potentially rethink ways to do things. Yeah, and it's interesting, the whole AI conversation, because I think somebody said to me recently, yeah, that's, that's an interesting trend, but what matters first is that you start looking at your data because there's already a lot of data and you decide which data is important for your business and what drives your performance. And I was really interesting reflection on that as well what what is if you looked at the industry what is like the pressing issue you would like to solve here if that could disappear then the world be much much easier Uh, yeah one of our core areas of focus i mentioned is commitment to community and so the two pillars we have there are around helping with food insecurity helping fight hunger and the other is environmental sustainability and uh, there's been covid really shifted the landscape in corporate food from more buffet style to individually wrapped meals with an idea of that was safer but it creates a mountain of trash in the process and uh, and i think we still have a long way to go as an industry in terms of how do we make it really environmentally sustainable so we're trying to do things that we can all the materials that we utilize in a typical catering we either recycle and reuse or, or, or fully compostable and biodegradable. Um, 
We actually just rolled out carbon neutral delivery, where we're building a mangrove forest in the Philippines with a nonprofit partner that offsets the carbon impact of each catering delivery with the carbon sequester that happens out of the, out of mangroves in that same year. So there's just, I think there's a lot more that are generally corporate food, corporate catering doesn't tend to think about these things too much, but it's an area that I think is going to become increasingly important for our clients and an area that I, you know, Hard to solve, but if I could snap my fingers, like you said, and fix one thing, it would be that. But I also guess that's really important for the end users, like the the companies that buy into catering services from a supplier point of view. I definitely seen that as a conversation quite quickly in the conversation. What are your contributing to? How can you help us improve our ESG goals? How can how do you make impact? How are you active in the front line to make a change? Even though if you're small companies, there is an expectation that actually you are doing more than just making profit. You're actually solving real society problems. Yeah, I think that's what will drive that change is the customers pulling that through and really saying, I want that. In some cases, they need to pay more too for it, right? Biodegradable utensils and containers and plates and stuff cost more. And so our clients willing to pay a little bit more to, to help support those types of things. But but I do think that, yes, that as clients have tried to meet their own goals, that will help transform the corporate food landscape as well. What is it like? You, you've been a business owner for a long time. You've done four companies or you're in the fourth company how do you actually find out how do you learn as you go through that especially the last couple of years it's just like a because everybody i talk with they have had some kind of significant learning either as an individual or as a leader of a business that's really have changed the way they look at things because it was so extreme what we went through so therefore you if you didn't stop up yourself, you were at some point forced to stop up and reflect on yourself and the world and so on. So what is your significant learnings over the last couple of years? Oh, that's a great question. I'd say something I'm much more aware of is mental health, both personally, but also team and I think society at large. I think we're just seeing, I think COVID created a lot more strain. I think, you know, unfortunately live in a world with just a lot of strife right now, whether it's war in Europe or just divisions, political divisions, other types of divisions. And we try to talk about all these things as a team and but it, yeah, and a lot of the surveying we do of our team too gives us insights into that. But it's definitely a, a much more significant issue than I think ever before. And what's the role of company in terms of, of trying to help solve those, I think is still being figured out. We rolled out a telehealth, telemedicine solution for our team. Whether you have insurance or not, you have 24-7 access to a doctor, you know, who you can who can who you can consult with, who can provide prescriptions, things like that, but also telecounselors. So if you have mental health concerns or issues. And it's interesting, 50% of the usage we're seeing is on the counseling side as opposed to the traditional doctor side. And, and I think that's very different than it would have looked even just five years ago. So I'd say just an awareness and appreciation for that. I'm not sure I have all the answers, but I think at least being sensitive and understanding and then trying to make sure you're fostering an environment where it is not um, harming mental health, but ideally helping improve that, I think is gonna be more and more important for business leaders going forward. And that's really interesting because also, I guess, that changes your perspective about how you think leadership and what you are aware of as you're building the environment, the culture, and so on. Yeah, yeah. I think some of those old 
boundaries, right? You had your work life and your home life, right? We used to talk about balancing work and home and work and play, right? And whereas I think it's really become more like, how do you find harmony? Because they, they at least they, they blend together so much, you really can't have true separation. But issues like this, yeah, is that a personal issue that you should never talk about at work and, uh, and deal with on your own? Or is it something that leaders should be out trying to help their teams with? And I think it used to be, don't talk about it, don't bring it up, but I don't think we can do that anymore. I think it's such a pervasive issue now that it's something that leaders need to react to and find ways to provide support for their teams. A super, super interesting reflection. One of the other things I really like to dive into in a moment with guests, especially people of, as founders and then CEOs and building companies is this question around hard decisions that has to be made a lot of them. I know that myself, there's at least a couple of weeks where before they came once in a while, but right now somebody like comes so fast because still there's a lot of change going on in our industry. So how do you or did the company make hard decisions? Because the, there is those decisions that's not easy to do. Yeah, you hate to ever be confronted with those types of decisions, right? Especially if it involves people and their livelihoods. We try to really keep as a guiding North Star for us. What is our overall purpose? What are our values? Um, what are those big goals that we're trying to achieve? And obviously, on an annual basis, we have very specific, much more specific goals and things that will also guide us. But, but really trying to keep those things in perspective, which again, we've tried to find a level of balance. It's about making the company successful, but in the process, how do we improve the lives of our chefs, our clients, our community, our team? And, uh, and so that usually is a little bit of a framework that we use to, to help guide us on some of those harder decisions. But like you said, it, it feels like we're in a challenging operating environment these days. We're faced with a lot more difficult decisions than we used to be. And it's like quite interesting you bring up again the framework, because I guess that's definitely my own experience when I didn't have a framework like that, where you just, you did what you call rational conclusions. But actually when you start to get a framework like that, you get multiple touch points and you actually, your temperance and balance in your decision becomes much better because you actually see it from multiple stakeholders view. You have to, when you ask yourself those questions. Yeah, I think that really helps you make better decisions, right? If rather than, like you said, many times you can get tunnel vision if you're just looking at it through one lens, try to look at it from a variety of perspectives and find that balance as best you can in, in terms of what's needed. What, what is, how do you, because you said like it's a tough environment you've been in and how do you then show up in your day-to-day -day work as the leader of the business, one of the founders? How do you show up as the best version of yourself? How do you make sure that you're consistent with that? Yeah, I'm really motivated and excited about what we're trying to build. I think we're going to have a hugely positive impact on the world and in our industry. So I, I try to remind myself of the, the reasons we're doing some of these things, the purpose of the company. I think it, there's also take care of your body, and that tends to really help support the mind and trying to make sure make time for exercise and other things is, for me, really important. When, when I don't exercise as much, I definitely feel the stress building and but when I do it, it tends to make it much more manageable. So exercise is like a key thing. Do you have any routines you do? Is there any hacks, anything you do every day to, to feel that? Are you exercising at a specific time every day? Or I'm definitely a morning person. I don't really have an everyday routine, but I don't know if you have Orange Theory in the UK, but I do a lot of Orange Theory at 6 a.m. during the week and sometimes weekends. What is like your top advice to other leaders out there that is trying to build a business as a force for good like you're doing yourself? 
it's really trying to understand the combination of the core problem that you're trying to solve. What's that need that your clients have? And then if you're really trying to build in a way that has a positive impact on the world, it's got to be very deeply integrated into that strategy and into the solution that you're providing. Ideally, it's a solution that 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 positive impact is something the client values as well. And that's part of solving the need. I, I think when you try to think about it after the fact and tack it on, it, it becomes much less authentic. It becomes much less really part of who you are. And in general, you're not going to have much of an impact in that regard. So I think it's really about thinking about, again, the need that you're, the problem you're solving, and then how do you integrate that positive impact on the world? The good news is I think that clients and customers today want that. I think they bias towards those organizations that are intentionally doing things to, to have a positive impact on the world. And so I actually think it's good business today too. I think if you don't have some type of broader social positive impact, the, the terminology these days is ESG, right? Or some type of real clear ESG strategy integrated into your core strategy, then I, I think you're going to see a negative impact from a market perspective. So it's, it's the right thing to do, but it's also the smart thing to do in, in today's day and age from a, a business perspective. Yeah, it's very interesting you bring that up because a couple of weeks ago in the business I'm involved in, we met an investor, I would say personal slash institutional investor. And his first question was very quickly after the pitch was delivered. So how do you make sure the social mission is integrated in everything you do in the business model? I never had that question. I didn't expect that in these environments. We had an answer. And that was, we wanted to help end food inequality for children and actually make sure there's better food in schools. So we knew exactly which organization we wanted to work with and so on. But actually it was really interesting to see even in these environment where fundraising is challenging, there is actually these questions are starting to come up because again, as you said, it's good business. They know it's good business long-term and there's some investment company, they look five to 10 years, not two to three years into the future. And I think that's really exciting and powerful, right? That investors, you've always had, okay, a small percentage of investors will say, I, I prioritize something positive from an ESG perspective and I'm willing to potentially sacrifice returns in order to prioritize this. But you, but as you as it shifts more mainstream where investors start to perceive that type of strategy is what is gonna be the winning strategy and that's how they're gonna get the best returns like it really does become transformational. And so I do think we're, that's exciting to hear an investor kind of starting off with a focus there, because I, I think as they realize that that's the path to success, again, it's good business as well as right for our world and our planet, then everybody wins. Jeff, what is the one question you wish to have asked you? And what would that question be? And what would you have answered? You asked so many wonderful questions. I guess, you know, how to find hungry would be a great question. And, and yeah, I guess that would be it. Yeah. How do we find hungry? Great. You can go to try hungry, T-R-Y, hungry, H-U-N-G-R-Y.com and, and learn more about us there. And if people want to connect with you afterwards, they have a burning question, something they want to dive into what you said or said, Jeff must know this or really want to talk with Jeff about that. What is the best way to, to reach out to you directly? Sure, they could reach out to me on LinkedIn or they could email me directly at jeff at tryhungry.com. Great, great. We'll put the LinkedIn in the, uh, the show notes. Thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us on the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. I send you and the team power and energy in the time to come as you are making the world a little bit better every day thank you michael
I really appreciate that you're listening in. So, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate, or give a review, or subscribe to one of our channels. Which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading the right books is the key to become a better leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the best books to improve yourself, others, and the organization. Find them on hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their socials at bitsimply or bitsimply HQ. You can also email them directly at podcast at bitsimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer from the podcast Collective. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick.